Welcome to Cornerstone Church of Parker and our Sunday service webcast, which is connecting you to God's Word anywhere over the internet. We're glad you're joining our webcast today and pray that God will minister to you as we share His good news in Christ Jesus. And now, with a message from God's Word, here's our speaker for today. Series titled Unstoppable. It's a series that we started, I believe, in November, and then we took a break from for, for Advent. And then we came back to it here at the beginning of uh, this new year, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here before the, the end of the month. But it's, it's chronicling the unstoppable movement of God's Holy Spirit as He not only births the church, but He propels them out into mission, that mission that Jesus gave them in Acts 1-8 to take the gospel from where they lived and out into their, their co- county and state and, and to people maybe they didn't even get along with and then on to the rest of the world. And so we uh, looked last week at dealing with disagreements, and I talked about what things uh, every Christian should consider essential and have in their, their theological suitcase. If you remember, I had a suitcase up here, and we put some things in, took some things out, and then we talked about um, how do we work through disagreements about what is essential and what is non-essential in a way that pleases God and, and continues moving that mission forward. Today we're going to be looking at witnessing to unbelievers as the method that, that God uses to move this message uh, throughout the world. And so, you know, in regards to witnessing to unbelievers, I'm not sure whether to describe it as uncomfortable or awkward. And for that matter, what's the difference between uncomfortable and awkward? Well, uh, someone once said that underwear can be uncomfortable but when you involve other people in the problem, it just gets awkward, right? <laughs> and so I think, that, I think that witnessing can be a lot like underwear sometimes. It's like, you know, it can be uncomfortable, but when we start talking about it, it just gets awkward, right? And, you know, when I think about witnessing personally, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is that I don't do it enough. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought, what comes to my mind is not necessarily how to do it. It's that, man, I just felt like I didn't didn't do it enough, um, and you know, that naturally that produces like these guilty feelings, like I should be doing more, but, and that's, even despite, I'm, I'm always willing to share my, my faith with others, but I, I get the feeling that I'm just not doing it as often as I should. However, when I stop and I think about the nature of my life, and in the people that I interact with on a, on a regular basis, the infrequency of my witness is not because I'm not letting my light shine. In fact, it's just the opposite. In fact, at my work, you guys know I'm a, I work in a public school and everybody knows that I'm a Christian and everybody knows that, that I'm a, a pastor and, and I have a very good reputation among them and, and, and they see how I interact with them. So it's not that I'm not letting my light shine. It's more a product of me not having a natural forum to have faith conversations. It's pretty hard in a public school in the course of the day when I'm supposed to be teaching science to stop and have conversations about, about faith. And so I, I kind of temper those feelings with kind of the reality of my life and, and where I'm at. And so what about you? I mean, what types of things come to your mind when you think about witnessing? Maybe you think, just like I did, man, I just don't do it enough. And so naturally you feel this, this guilty feeling. And none of us likes to, to feel guilty, especially about something that I believe most, if not all of us, 
are willing to do when the opportunity presents itself. We're always willing to, to talk with people uh, about our faith and, and share with them the reason for the hope that we have. And so th- today, as we think about uh, witnessing to unbelievers, I want us to focus less on the frequency with, in, uh, in which we, we witness and focus more on what we should say and how we should say it when we do have the opportunity, okay? So whatever guilty feelings you and I might have as we think about these things, I think we need to set those off to the side and focus more on, okay, Lord, when I do have the opportunity to witness, what should I say and with which attitude should I say it? And so we're going to be studying uh, Paul as he masterfully reaches out to the educated elite of Athens. And through this study of Acts chapter 17, we're going to gain ideas and insights to see how to reach out with both strong biblical roots and cultural relevance so that when we have the opportunity to share, we're, we're ready to do so in, in a really powerful, uh, good way. Um, one th- what many of us might not realize is that our culture uh, today is a lot like Athenian culture, ancient Greek culture. Uh, in fact, uh, as I was studying out Greek culture, I found that m- much of what we, especially in America, uh, our philosophical ideas and the types of, school of schools of thought that exist stem primarily from Greek culture. Um, and we see similarities in that many people today are not that interested in the God of the Bible. Others see uh, belief in God is something primarily for edu- uneducated, ignorant people. Or still others are content worshiping a, a host of contemporary idols. Okay? And so through this lesson, we're going to learn how to speak to uh, like Paul did, how to speak in ways that people will understand and appreciate. So let's look at Acts chapter 17, verses 16 through 34. And I would like to just read this, these uh, 18 verses or so, just all the way through, and that way we have a big, big picture. So if you're following along with me, um, you can do so in your Bible, or if you downloaded the Cornerstone Church of Parker app, there is a Bible right in that. And there are also sermon notes associated with that. How many of you have downloaded the app already and found those sermon notes? Okay, and it gives you spots to take notes as you go. If you'd rather take them that way, you can actually save them week after week. You can just save notes. You don't have to keep the paper, paper bulletins. Okay, so check that out. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, and when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come, tell us about these, this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as follows. Men of Athens, I I notice that you're very religious in every way, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. 
And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided before him that when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands people everywhere to repent of sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved everyone who this is by raising him from the dead." When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And that ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So, the first thing we learn from Paul is that he was burdened for the lost. Before we can share the gospel with them, we have to carry a burden for them. Let me say that again. Before we can share the gospel with them, we have to carry a burden for them. Paul, he was looked around the city of Athens, and it says he was deeply troubled. Now that phrase, deeply troubled, what it really translate, or should be translated is, is exasperated. Have you ever been exasperated? I mean, it's like so frustrated that you're just beside yourself. See, everywhere Paul turned, there was an idol. And we, and we hear and we think nothing of that, like idols and statues. But we got to realize that every idol represents another person to please, another set of beliefs, another set of right and wrong practices and rituals. And, and there's a whole lot that comes with an idol. And so we see that Athens was truly schizophrenic in its views of the world. They didn't know what idol to who was right. And so they just decided, let's just worship them all. Let's just worship them all. I think that uh, relativism was the theme of the day, which means right and wrong was left up to each and every individual depending on what idol they were presently serving. About relativism, relativism and the lack of absolutes in society, Ravi Zacharias once said, with no fact as a referent, what is normative is purely a matter of preference. With no fact as a referent, what is normative is purely a matter of preference. And that was true in, in Athens at this time. If a person found they didn't like their idol's prescribed set of rituals, rights or wrongs, they just found a new idol, right? They just found the idol that matched their preference, found the, the religion or whatever that would match their preference. So their standards were very subjective. They just kind of, well, I don't like this set of standards. It makes me uncomfortable, right? I'm going to go find a new 
set of standards, whatever they happen to prefer. Now, that's one set of people, but I think Paul was also exasperated because he knew that people like Dionysius and Damaris were out there, people who were genuinely searching for answers, people who were hungry for the truth, and basically all their community, all their society offered to them was um, trial and error. Go find what's right and wrong by trial and error. You just, you know, try this idol and you try that idol. And if somebody true tried an, one idol a month, I think it would take them several years before they would just get through the entire list and they would find themselves more empty, more uh, void than, than ever before. And so Paul saw this. It broke his heart. It's what burdened his heart for these people. He saw the emptiness in people's lives. He saw how sinfulness and selfishness had, had broken down uh, marriages and hindered children's home lives and made it uh, difficult to just even carry out daily, uh, everyday business. And this, it was just almost more than he could bear. And so he had this, this uh, palpable uh, burden for the people in Athens. And so by now, I'm, I'm sure you can, can hear some similarities between that Greek culture and our modern day culture, except, you know, most of our idols today aren't statues, at least in America. I, at least I don't, I don't walk through my neighborhood and see a lot of statues sitting around. We don't see statues on every corner, every place we, we turn, little, little idol statues, right? And so while I think it would be tempting for us to stop and think about, well, what are our community's idols? I don't think that that's where the emphasis is. In this passage, we don't see Luke, the author of Acts, we don't see him listing out what idols they were. We see him emphasizing the burden that Paul had for the people. And so rather than us take time to think about, well, what are the idols? I don't think that that's necessary. I think it's more necessary for us to ask ourselves, are we burdened for the people of our community in the way that Paul was. You know, and I think about myself. Am I burdened for, because of the, the idolatry that's present in our, in our society? Do I look around and does it, does it weigh on my heart? Does it ever leave me exasperated? What about you? Do you ever uh, find the subjectiveness of modern morality that, that just breaks your heart? Do you ever look around and look at the relativism and the people that are just searching and almost by trial and error for what is right and what is wrong and it just just crushes you? What about us as a congregation? How do we bear that that burden? Charles Spurgeon once said, "If, if there be any one point in which the Christian church ought to keep its fervor at white heat, it's concerning missions. If there be anything about which we cannot tolerate lukewarmness, it is the matter of sending the gospel to a dying world. And I think at times that we just, we lack, me, you, us as a congregation, we, we lack that burden that Paul carried, that, that, that white heat that Charles Spurgeon talks about. And so how do we get that back? I think it starts with prayer, both individually and corporately, because it's in prayer that, that God begins to, to change our perspective and show us that how people are truly hurting. You know, we, we look at people's lives and because on the exterior, we see very nice houses and successful careers and whatnot. We don't, that veneer tends to hide some of the real issues that people are having, right? The emptiness that they feel. And, and it's through prayer that the Lord begins to reveal those things and begins to burden our hearts for the people around us. 
Do you believe that? Amen. Well, once we're a burden, what actions can we take? So let's keep looking at Paul's example here. Look at verses 17 and 18 with me. We find in these verses that Paul reasoned. He reasoned with people who had something in common with him. Now, to reason with somebody means to mingle thought with thought. It means to revolve something in the mind, to ponder it, to, to think deeply about it, to thoroughly explain it. And that's exactly what Paul was doing. He was going and, and, and engaging people and reasoning with them and thoroughly explaining the gospel one detail at a time. However, he didn't reason with everyone, okay? He only reasoned with those with, those, with whom he had something in common as a starting point. And we read here, look at, through these verses really quick, 17 and 18, you'll see five groups mentioned. You'll see Jews, God-fearing Gentiles, people in the public square, uh, Epicureans, and Stoics, okay? But you'll notice one group that was prevalent in ancient Greece and, and still today, although they don't call themselves this directly, but you don't see hedonists mentioned, okay? You don't see hedonists. Now, what's a hedonist? A hedonist is someone who doesn't believe in God. They believe that experiencing pleasure is the highest good that anybody can, can obtain to, okay? Their whole goal is to experience as much pleasure as possible through whatever means necessary, so long as it doesn't hinder them from experiencing pleasure in the future. And so that any boundaries they have, do have, it's because, well, if I cross that line, it's going to hinder me from experiencing pleasure in the future. That's, it's just minimizing pain, maximizing pleasure, that is their uh, life philosophy, I guess you'd say. They did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, essentially. And so pa Paul didn't bother reasoning with this group. B why? Because he didn't have a whole lot in common with them. They didn't, they didn't want to hear the things that, that he was sharing. And so he, he passed over it. It kind of reminds me of this man who was trying to uh, witness to his neighbor, Mrs. Smith. Well, this man, he went to Mrs. Smith's house, he knocks on the door, and, and when she opened it and realized that he wanted to talk about Jesus, she abruptly slammed the door in his face. However, the door bounced back open, right? And so she caught it and she slammed it again, a little harder, a little angrier, but the same thing happened. It just kind of bounced back open. And while well, she was convinced that the man, and she's staring this man, the neighbor, in the face, she she hasn't looked down, and she sinks while he's sticking his foot in the door. So I'm going to rear back and slam this thing just as hard as I possibly can and break his foot. This is what Mrs. Smith is thinking. And so she gets ready to do that, and just as she, she does, the neighbor yells out, Man, before you do that again, I think you should move your cat. <laughs> right? And so I mean, we all have Mrs. Smiths. We all have... Uh, maybe even hedonists in our lives. People that, you know what, they don't, they're not concerned with virtue. They're not concerned with anything that's related to God. And so uh, we might do well to, to not engage them uh, very much in these types of conversations. But Paul looked for people with whom he had a little bit of something in common. Let's think about these groups for just a second. First of all, the Jews. Well, he had nationality, common nationality, and a, a certain way of life in common with them. The God-fearing Gentiles, well, they were in the synagogue, 
right? And he at least had the Old Testament in common with them and the God of the Old Testament, the one true God and Moses and all of whom pointed to Jesus. And so he used this fact as a starting point in his reasoning with them. The people in the public square, they were generally concerned about religious issues. And so he, he engaged anybody who wanted to talk about religion and he went and talked to them about Jesus and the resurrection. The Epicureans, they, they're an interesting group because um, when I studied these, I, I thought, do you know the magazine like Simple Living or maybe even something like Magnolia or some of these magazines? That would fit right in to the Epicurean philosophy or way of life. They, they were all about experiencing and living simply and, and, and experiencing necessary modest pleasures uh, through virtue. They felt like being virtuous was the way to live a simple and very good life, a modest life. And so Paul, knowing that Jesus died to give us some, an abundant life and that God wanted us to live simply and quietly, he, he used that as a way to, to talk to them. The Stoics, on the other hand, were kind of an, a different school of thought. They didn't see being virtuous as a means to an end. They looked at virtue as the highest good. We're virtuousness and having good character is, is the most important thing. And if you experience pain or, or pleasure, whatever. It's just nature. And so they, they didn't focus so much on, on, on pursuing uh, pleasure or pain. They focused primarily on virtuousness. And so Paul, knowing that good character was important, he went and used that as a means to start conversations with them. And so we see in verse 18... He was talking with these groups and they said, hey, let's take you to the high council. We're going to take you up to the high council and, and let you talk about these new ideas. And Paul's testimony here in these, these verses uh, is quite amazing. I mean, because it, it's like he didn't even practice it beforehand. He just kind of knew, all right? And that brings us to the third application for us is that Paul knew the gospel well enough to share it with any, at any time with anyone who was interested. He could share the gospel at any time with anyone who was interested. And so are we able to do that? Are we able to present the gospel in a compelling way at any time with anyone who's interested? Well, if not, we, we need to get there, and, and I'll try to help you with that. But let's look at how he shared it in a compelling way we see that he, the first thing he did was he connected the gospel to something that people were already familiar with. Look in verse 23. He mentions the altar of the unknown God, and he says, hey, this is the God I'm telling you about. They were all familiar with that. And then later in verse 28, he references a piece of their pop culture by quoting one of their poets. It would, like, uh, it would be like us quoting a very famous uh, singer, or artist, you know, quoting a lyric from Taylor Swift or somebody like that. Whoever's popular these days and everybody would kind of know. And speaking about pop culture for a second, some of us are rather disconnected from pop culture, aren't we? We, we just are. We can barely re relate to the things that unbelievers find interesting. I know that I find this to be a struggle at times, um, primarily because I'm just so busy and I find that Pop, so much of pop culture is just like really distracting. So I, it hinders me from getting my work done and engaging the people and the projects right in front of me. I mean, I don't spend hours on YouTube watching nonsensical videos. 
right? I, I don't have the latest apps. I don't really participate in social media anymore. I don't go to the movies all that much. I don't have a problem with it. I just There's not a lot out that really intrigues me. Um, I don't even hardly watch sports anymore, primarily because I don't have cable. But I just don't have like three hours to sit down and watch, you know. And, and my teams haven't been doing very good anyways lately. So I'm kind of like, okay, you know. So it, it's uh, what I do know is from having teenage kids and also working with teenagers every day and just generally being around, right? That's how I know about pop culture, okay? What, what about you? How connected are you to the culture of our day and current events, right? And more, current, more importantly, how do you balance with being up to date without being consumed by it, right? That's the thing. I mean, you could spend your whole day just surfing Facebook and f- keeping up on current events, and there's always something new happening and someone who wants to tell you about it. It's a wonder anybody gets any work done, right? Someone once said, if pop culture is a pool, it never hurts to dive in once in a while. And I think there's a, a smidge of, of truth in that, especially for us as Christians, because we see Paul, evidently Paul, was familiar enough with Athenian culture that he could use little bits of it in his witness with people. He could use it to engage people and get them intrigued. You know, he could bring up a a song lyric or something, the latest movie or something up, and he could turn it into a conversation uh, or use it in a a faith conversation. And so I think we would be, uh, do well to follow his example even just for the fact that, so that we can be relatable with unbelievers, right? The second thing that Paul did, beyond connecting the gospel to what they were already familiar with, is he offered hope to them. Look at verse 27. He says that God is not very far from any one of us. And I think this is a very important point because I think a lot of unbelievers, people that don't know Jesus, they, they think God is generally far away and uninterested. If there is a God, then he really doesn't know me. He really doesn't care about me. He doesn't know what's going on in my life. And that's where the Athenians were. I mean, think about that. Where were their gods? On Mount Olympus, right? Disconnected and uninterested in human affairs. Very far away. And yet here's Paul telling them about Emmanuel, God with us telling them about the God that, that didn't isolate himself. He came down and lived among us, and he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows what it's like to struggle with those things or to have to overcome. Or He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows exactly what you're going through. And this was new. And I think this is one of the reasons why people like Dionysius and Damaris came to faith is because they heard about a God who wasn't like these stone idols. They heard about a God who was right there and wanted to live among them and in them, right? Think about that. Even for us as modern-day Christians, what other religion talks about having God literally with you? We have the Holy Spirit with us as believers, guiding us, kind of like... uh, Life coach, right? I know sometimes we'd like him to go away. <laughs> you know, don't talk to me about that. You know, he starts to convict us a little bit about something. But he's there. 
helping us, encouraging us, reminding us of, and bringing to our memory everything that Jesus, Jesus taught. And so, do we offer hope when we share the gospel? When we share the gospel, do we offer people hope? Or do we share it in a way that condemns people? I, I don't know of anybody that was condemned into the kingdom of God, right? I mean, look through Paul's speech again. You won't find him condemning their idolatry anywhere. But I do see him bring up the need for repentance and turning to God, verse 30. I do see him mention that God will judge the world through Jesus Christ, but I don't read any direct condemnation. And so this is where a few modern, uh, very well-known preachers, I think, kind of go wrong, right? They, 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 wanna, they don't condemn, which is good, but they don't bring up the need for repentance either, right? They don't talk about turning from God. They don't talk about... Um, listen, God will judge the world through Jesus Christ. They don't bring that up, all right? It's all just God is love, right? There's another side to that that Paul brings in. He brings it in in a very balanced way. And I think that the, the focus here for Paul is he wasn't focused on getting them to stop idolatry. He was focused on getting them to start a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he knew that if they had that relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, that supernaturally that idolatry and everything associated with it would just soon just start to fall off. As God changed their thinking, as his grace worked in their heart, right? Think about your own salvation. And when you came to know the Lord, it probably wasn't because somebody condemned you, first of all, right? And when you made that choice to, to express faith in Christ and you believe that he is more than a man, that he died and rose again, and that through believing he is the Son of God, you have forgiveness and a right relationship, did all of your bad habits and bad ways of thinking just immediately stop? No. But over time, did they change? Yes. Was it because somebody condemned you? No. It was because God's grace was working in your heart. And so I think as we think about witnessing to unbelievers, I think we get it backwards sometimes. I think our emphasis is often on getting people to stop something and then start. No, no, no. We need to follow Paul's example and focus on helping them start a relationship with God. And through that relationship with God, their lives are going to be changed. How many of you believe that? How many of your own life, you can testify that is the case? Amen. And so I think hymns like Just As I Am got it right. You were thinking that too. And that's probably the reason why Billy Graham used that song at every single one of his crusades because his focus was not on, okay, all you people in the stadium, I want you to stop all your sinful and selfish ways. And when that's done, then let's talk. Right? That's not how we did it. Right? Because Billy Graham just like Paul and just like you and I understood that, no, no, you come to faith and, you, and, and, and God, will, God will help you from there. God loves you just as you are. And I think that was the message that people like Dionysius and Damaris heard that day and this is the reason why they came to know the Lord. And so Paul's conversation with the high council ended right there. As soon as he brought up the resurrection of the dead, it was like, done. They could not wrap their heads around that, okay? And so before we consider the ending of this story, I want to just take just a, a moment 
and think about, give you two specific applications, you as an individual. The first is this. You need to maintain, when you're witnessing to unbelievers, you need to maintain a reasonable attitude. You need, you can't reason if you don't have a reasonable attitude. Unreasonable people don't reason, right? By, by definition. I mean, some people, uh, I, I read something, I thought it was kind of funny. Some of you may have a, a bad attitude and you think, well, I don't have a bad attitude. I just have a personality that others can't handle, right? <laughs> That's, yes, you keep telling yourself that, okay? You won't be leading very many people to the Lord, I can tell you that. So you have to maintain a reasonable attitude. You have to be able to disagree with somebody and, and thoroughly ex- just kind of bounce back and mingle thought with thought. You have to be able to talk through things with people without things coming to fisticuffs or things getting personal and making personal attacks on people, right? That's a, a level of maturity uh, that few people in our community have, right? I mean, we see it all the time in politics. People are like at each other in personal attacks left and right. We can't just disagree and talk things through. But it's, 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 we see here that Paul was polite. He was even complimentary as he shared the gospel with these people. He, in, in this way, he avoided being needlessly offensive, uh, to them. Think about, how, would he have an audience? Would they even let him speak for more than one minute if he got up there and was just very unreasonable and had a very bad attitude? Absolutely not. Nor will we. We will not have an audience with people if we are needlessly offensive. The second thing is we need to use commonalities as starting points for gospel conversations. Instead of coming into situations, coming into interactions with people and being focused on everything that's different about us, we need to come and look for the, same, the things that we have in common. Do we frequent the same gym? Do our kids go to the same schools? Do we like the same shows? Do, you know, what, what do we have in common with these people? Do we subscribe to the, the same magazines? Are we both kind of like we both live simply or we both have an emphasis on this over that? We need to use the commonalities that we have with unbelievers as places to start conversations, just like Paul did, right? And I think those are the two overarching takeaways uh, for us to remember. If you forget everything, if we forget everything we've learned from this passage today, I think that it's, that it's those two things. Maintain a reasonable attitude and leverage common points so that we give, our chance to, give ourselves the best chance to lead someone to the Lord. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. So the last thing we're going to look at here before we close, the last thing that we must keep in mind is that, you know what? Not everybody's going to respond positively. Look back at 32 and 30 through 34. We see that some people laughed at him in contempt. But it says some others said, we want to hear more about this later, right? And so there's always going to be a mixed response when we share the gospel with, especially with a group, or, you know, we share it with this individual and this individual and this individual. The point is to share. The point is to share. We cannot control how someone else will respond. We don't know who is going to respond positively and who is not. We might be surprised who comes to faith. Our goal is to share. That should be our, our goal, just as it was, was Paul. And so I think that 
um, we should not allow the fact that some will not appreciate our message to hinder us from sharing the good news. And I, I also think that some of us need to get a little bit thicker skin, right? We need to get a little bit thicker skin so that we can endure a little bit of ridicule, right? Without it bothering us or hindering us from sharing uh, in the future. Well, thank you so much for uh, listening this morning. And I would like to just, I'm still thinking about next week. I have a, a sermon prepared uh, but I may come back into this and give you a little bit more practical uh, advice in this way. Um, but we'll, we'll see. I'll, I'm still praying about it. So would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to close us out in prayer. If you're our guest with, uh, today, I'm so glad you were here. And if I didn't get a chance to meet you, please forgive me for that. I would love to do so in a, in a few minutes. Uh, but if you're a regular attender of Cornerstone Church, I need to ask you about something here in, when you're done. So uh, after I pray a prayer of dismissal, if you consider yourself a regular attender, would you just kind of come up to the, the, the stage here real quick, and then we'll, we'll dismiss. It'll only take a, um, a couple minutes, okay? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for uh, your presence here today. It's just a privilege to worship you. It's a privilege to, to know you. God, I'm so glad that, that someone shared the gospel with me. And, and, and with us, and that we can walk with you, that we, we can uh, uh, know right from wrong, Lord, that we don't have to uh, uh, go through trial and error and try to, try to just experiment with, with, with morality, God. I, I know that that would just leave us, leave us empty and, and, and probably in some really bad, bad places. Um, and so I thank you that, that we do know you, and I, I pray that as a, a church, you would begin to burden our hearts for the lost in our community, that you would begin to bring people in who need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, we are here, Lord, to, 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 to help fulfill that mission and, and lead, lead, others, lead others to you so that their families, so that their work, so that their lives can be, be fulfilling and, and, and productive and that that emptiness they feel inside would, would be uh, addressed. And so I thank you for that privilege and help us to do that uh, in a way that, that is very effective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We thank you for listening to this Sunday service webcast from Cornerstone Church of Parker in Parker, Colorado. We hope that his truth has enriched your life and inspires you to greater works in God's kingdom. We invite you to worship with us in our Sunday morning service or join in our other ministry events posted on cornerstonechurchofparker.org. Cornerstone Church, built on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and connecting people to God, each other, and to our world.